and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and there are a plethora of awesome animation events happening in the state of California, and you can find all of them in the show notes as well as the website, because today I want to dive right into the interview. My guest today is Crystal Stromer, who is a 2D animator for one of Nickelodeon's newest shows, Bunsen is a Beast. And she has also animated on a number of other hit shows, including working as an animation director on BoJack Horseman. And just so all of y'all know, we discussed the episode Fish Out of Water around minute 33 of the podcast. So if you haven't seen BoJack Horseman yet and you're really interested in watching that episode, Make sure to check that out first, then come back to the podcast where you can hear Crystal and I discussing that episode in more detail. So I know that all of you are going to enjoy hearing what Crystal has to say today. So without further ado, I'm happy to present episode 49, Interview with Crystal Stromer. My guest today is Crystal Stromer. Crystal is a 2D animator on Nickelodeon's newest show, Bunsen is a Beast. Previously, she was also an animation director on BoJack Horseman, a storyboard artist on The Greatest Party Story Ever, and she was also an animator on Mad, as well as an animator on El Tigre, The Adventures of Manny Rivera, and she loves the Muppets. <laughs> so you know that she is just an awesome person all around. Crystal, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Ah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things that I love about your story and just going through your resume is that you are currently a 2D animator yep. at a major animation <laughs> company which a lot of people don't realize that this job still exists they yeah. think that oh 2d animation is dead even myself every time i think that oh there's no more 2d animation in the united states <laughs> i meet people that have been doing 2d animation for years and are kicking butt at it so we're gonna have a great conversation about that yeah <laughs> so i always like to start off at the beginning of people's journeys. So, Crystal, where are you from? I am from originally from Florida. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale area. And I grew up there and went to school actually in Orlando in for college. And so, where did you go to school? College, I went to a university called UCF, which is the University of Central Florida. They had a um, 2D program there when I went there. So, that's kind of what drew me there cuz I grew up always wanting to do 2D animation, you know, and being from Florida, it just made sense to kind of go there. So I went there and had some really great professors. It was a small, you know, it's a university, it wasn't an art college, so it was a pretty small animation program, but my teachers were pretty great, so I was able to learn a lot. So growing up, what were some of your artistic influences? What television shows or movies or comics were you really into? I was obsessed with cartoons when I was growing up, so it was kind of like, I was also an only child, so I just devoured cartoons. One of my favorite things growing up was this show when Nickelodeon was still pretty new called Pinwheel. I remember Pinwheel. Yes! Pinwheel great. <laughs> I'm so glad you remember that I show. Remember, I know, it's, it's, you, you talk to the people in the studio and you find, do you remember Pinwheel? They're like, what's a Pinwheel? <laughs> oh, no, okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> pinwheel was just, it was, for people who don't know what Pinwheel was, it was just like a collection of just different, you know, animated shorts from different countries and it was just, some of it was really bizarre and some of it was stop motion and weird 2D stuff and it was just mixed with puppets and like live action. It was wonderful. <laughs> but Pinwheel, also Disney, but more the Disney shorts than the Disney features. That when Disney was still young too, they that's all they would really play was like their shorts. So it was just watching stuff like Lambert the Sheepish Lion and Pigs as Pigs and to whistle plunk and boom after you've gone which is one of my favorite shorts ever i don't know if you remember what's that. that one about it's like uh it's a benny goodman song and it's just like this 
clair it's kind of abstract. It's this clarinet that basically like runs around this weird musical land. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I have a homework assignment now. Can yes. we find the short? But yeah, so like, you know, when I grew up with Saturday morning cartoons, just, you know, Ninja Turtles and stuff like Shirt Tales. And then like growing up to my favorite movies were like Secret of Nim, An American Tale, you know, most of the Disney features. But yeah, so kind of all over the board, like across the board, like animation. I love it. If it was animated, I just watched it. <laughs> You're naming all the things that <laughs> I love to watch. And I have to ask you because not, I haven't met a lot of people that remember this. Did you ever watch The Mysterious Cities of Gold? Yes. Yes, okay, all right. <laughs> Proof that the show is real. Oh, yes, okay. it totally Cause, is. Cause just, the only people that I know that remember it are me and my dad. So it's I'm, about four other people I've met remember the show. Okay. And do you did you ever watch Spartacus and oh. The Sun Beneath the Sea? Do you, do you remember that show? I don't know. If I saw it, maybe I would, but okay. that I don't remember. All right, but you remember Mysterious Cities of Gold. For sure. That's great. <laughs> Ah, that does my heart good. All right, this is going to be a great interview. I know it now. So, grow up, you're watching all these fantastic cartoons, you decide, I want to get into this. You go to college, you major in animation, you have some really great professors that are teaching you the ropes. How do you make your way out to California? Well, you know, I went to school and basically was just like, what do I do now? And it was kind of either between New York and California at that point. You know, there was a little bit of animation still going on in Orlando at the time, but not enough. They had some 3D stuff, but I, you know, was a 2D person. And Was Disney Feature still in Orlando or had they shut down? They shut down pretty much, I think, my third year in college. Oh, Yeah. Okay. And some of, like, I had one of my professors, I, I had a drawing instructor that ended up, you know, some of ended up kind of opening his own studio and some of the uh, feature people kind of went off and, and did some smaller studios but yeah by that point like just shutting down the Orlando studio was kind of sad to see that go so yeah so it was kind of like between New York and California and I just was like hey why not go out to California it's you know it was first of all similar to kind of the climate of Florida and the thought of being in snow just kind of deterred me from going to New York you know and this is where most of the industry was so I just kind of packed up and didn't think about it and left and it was it was kind of scary there was actually a guy I went to school with that we were sitting around talking when we were graduating and they're like what are you gonna do and I was like I'm gonna go to California and he looked at me and he's just like you're not gonna make it. Oh. And I was just like, well, I have to try. Like, <laughs> you guy. Who are you gonna tell me my dreams? What's I wrong know. with this person? <laughs> I was just like, well, I just went to school for like four years. Where do you, you think know, I'm gonna try go? animation? Like, I have to at least try. Yeah. Like, what do you Wow. Where's that kid now? I have no idea. See? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had, you know, applied everywhere. And didn't hear back from a lot of places and found a internship at a small animation studio that's not around anymore but it was a small studio and got an internship there and they happened to be doing flash animation which I had no idea really what that was but they were you know my my first job actually there was just transferring VHS tapes like making copies of VHS tapes which was not exciting <laughs> <laughs> You just have to sit there and watch the same thing over and over again, basically, oh. <laughs> all day long. <laughs> but yeah, so I got the internship there, did some of the VHS transfers, and then finally got to animate a little bit. And luckily, it was a really small studio, but the people that were working there at the time were really great and very talented, and they were all very supportive. So my, one of my directors would stay late after work and kind of teach me Flash, which was awesome. So that's how I kind of started to learn how to animate. That's really fantastic. And what did you do to show them that this is what I want to do as opposed to 
because you're you know you're making copies of tapes, mm-hmm. and I'm certain that you did a fantastic job <laughs> making those wonderful copies. But how are you then able to move on and let them know you know I can also animate? You teach me because I would be helpful to you. I was just really persistent. I let them know, like I you know I was just like I am willing to do whatever I need to do for the studio because I'm excited to be here and you know I'm here to learn. But ultimately. I want to animate. This is why I'm here. This is what I've always wanted to do. So I was very vocal about it to my producers, you know? And I think that that really, because of that, that actually, they ended up hiring me as an animator on a pilot that we were working on. My producer actually told me that I had moxie. Because <laughs> I, I was, like sat down one day and was just like, this internship has been great and I've learned a lot, but I know this is coming up and I want my shot to animate on it and you know I was just like I can't be an intern here forever and he was just like all right (laughs) all right so be vocal yes definitely I, I you know if you sit there and you don't tell the people that you're working for like what you really ultimately want to do they'll never know and you never know like just putting it out there and telling people like hey I'm interested in animation or storyboarding or this or that you know, most people in the industry like that I've worked for, especially in small companies, if you're really excited about something, they want you to do that position because they know that you'll be excited about it and put your all into it. And, you know, so that's kind of the only way is to tell people like, hey. (laughs) Don't assume that they'll figure it out. Yes, never assume. So then you worked on the pilot. Did the pilot go to series? It did not. I don't actually remember why. It was a pilot for MTV. But no, sadly it didn't. You know, and then there was a couple other smaller projects that we worked on, some stuff for the internet. And then we ended up landing a series of Disney shorts called Shanna Show about this little girl who was basically like, it was like three minute shorts on Disney. And it was like this little musical about like this girl that was kind of like, guess what I am? And she'd be like different professions, like a vet or a firefighter. And it was such an adorable show. And I ended up getting a new director on that show. And it was more traditional based animation than like the kind of symbol based flash animation that we're doing for the pilot. And he had me doing cleanup and I was on it for maybe a couple weeks, I think, when he was just like, hey, we're going to have you do these textures instead. (laughs) Because there was different parts like her hair and different elements in the show that were like, you know, had bitmap textures on it. So he took me off animation cleanup and I was just like, okay. You know, and he never said anything to me, but I was just like, I don't think he thinks I was doing that good of a job. (laughs) But I was just like, all right, well, I'm just going to do the best job I can with like doing these textures. And did that for a while and ended up kind of being able to like get like a really small crew of like a texture crew together that I got basically in charge of. And so I got a little bit of experience of kind of working with a crew. But yeah, and then eventually worked my way back to animation. Once you showed, you know, I know that I'm amazing at textures, but I'm also <laughs> great at animation. Yeah. You bring me back. And it was one of the, I talked to, I worked with him for years and I had talked to him and like years later, I was like, you took me off of that because you didn't think I could animate. And he was like, well, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it was one of those things where I was like, all right, you know, I obviously still have a lot to learn and that was okay. So I just practice and because I was working with people, other people's animation files and I was doing textures, it was my chance to kind of look at how other people were animating and study what they were doing. So it was a good learning experience for me, I think. Now, I feel like you had a really good attitude about that. And not (laughs) everyone would have reacted well and taken the, okay, I'll learn what I need to learn so I can go back. Yeah. Where does that good attitude come from? Is that from practice or is that more personality of Crystal? You know, I think it's it's a little bit of both. I think I've always known I wanted to do animation. It's my passion, even when I was a kid. Like, I knew, you know, I was taping stuff off 
TV and like putting paper over the TV and kind of tracing over and then like stepping forward on something and then tracing over it to see how things moved. So it was just something I've always wanted to do. So when I finally got into the industry and got a chance to do it, it was just one of those things like, I have a lot to learn. Like I know this. So it's just like, you have to be open-minded and realize like you always are learning. Having an attitude with someone who's, you know, my all the people I'd been working up to that point were very talented and more seasoned than I was. So it's just like, it would be a detriment to me to not take their critiques and learn from that. Well, that's good to know. So how then did you go from, because you worked at a small studio and you had a lot of other jobs in between, mm-hmm. how did you then go from working at a smaller studio and leading, you know, leading a crew, doing texturing, then going to animation, to working for studios like Nickelodeon and Shadow Machine? I don't know. It was just kind of, you know, it was just one of those things like when Flash was first starting up, you know, because I, I started pretty early on in Flash animation, it was mostly smaller studios. So it's just like you just kind of, and it was a small industry, so you just kind of hop around. It was like Oddbot and Renegade and Six Point and Titmouse at the time were probably the major studios around. And it just kind of happened. Like my first major studio I worked at was Warner Brothers, and I had just been jumping around from projects to projects for years, and it just I don't know, the opportunity just came along. I knew a couple people that had been working over at Warner Brothers, and I think someone had recommended me for the job that I didn't know about. (laughs) I heard my name was on a whiteboard for, like, months. Oh, wow. And meanwhile, I heard, like, other people were, like, getting interviews, and I was just like, okay, maybe my name's on, like, a do-not-call list. (laughs) (laughs) But eventually, you know, they just ended up calling me, and I had the interview there, and... Luckily, they were looking for animators, and I got the job. It was just, you know, it was a mixture of kind of knowing some people over there and just kind of luck. Prior to Warner Brothers, had most of your jobs come from recommendations and referrals from people you had worked with, or had they come from you going to conventions or applying online or going to different industry events? Honestly, most of it was just people that I knew You know, like I said, the Flash animation industry was really small, and I had, when I started out, I had actually worked at, one of the first major jobs I had was at the studio called Oddbot, and I had ended up working with the owner and director, Chris Hamilton, for like years. So because of that, there's always like rotating projects, so I had kind of stuck around Oddbot for a while, but in that there's people that you're working with that are coming and going, you know, onto other projects. They're there for a couple projects, they leave. And it would just be like, I'm looking for work. And I knew a couple people over at Six Point and just, you know, reached out to them and was like, hey, is there any work? And, you know, they're just like, oh yeah, we have, you know, an opening for a couple months, come on over. So I was pretty lucky in terms of just getting to know the people that you work with and building relationships that way versus kind of going and networking and, you know, going to industry events and parties. I'm kind of an introvert, so like going to big parties and trying to talk to lots of people gets a little intimidating for me. You know, so I always approached it as like, you do really good work and people see that. And if they remember that and you're a good person to work with, you were take criticism, feedback really well, and you're just a pleasant person to be around, like, people will remember that and want to work with you. Because the industry is pretty small. You're going to end up working with people, you know, years from now. So work hard and be kind. Yes, pretty much. Excellent. All right. So I have to ask you, because I love this show, what was it like working on El Tigre? Because I love El Tigre. Do you have any El Tigre stories? El Tigre was a lot of fun. I was working at Six Point Harness, actually, at the time they were doing, they were working on El Tigre. And 
I remember they had two shows going on at the same time, and I just like everybody wanted to work on El Tigre. Like it was so much fun. It was it was such a good show, and I was ended up on the other show for a while, and I was just like, oh, I want, I hope eventually they'll put me on it, and they did. Like eventually they put me on Tigre, and I was just so excited. And it was really funny because one of the guys that I was working with over at Six Point Harness, he was the voice of White Pantera. So it was funny to be like, you know, this person that you've been working with over the years, now you're animating to their voice. <laughs> so that was pretty, it was a kick. It was, I just remember it being like such a delightful show, just opening up the character files and seeing the designs and being like, oh my gosh, I get to animate this. It's so beautiful. And then the, the style of it was just so much fun to animate. You know, Flash sometimes, depending on you can do stuff that's adult oriented and then like the animation's not quite as fun. They want it to be more limited in scope. Tigray was just like, it's fun, it's a cartoon. You can kind of stretch your skills on it. So you did that and now you were also a storyboard artist. So what made you decide to go from animating full time to you know being a board artist as well? I've done some limited board stuff. The Board stuff I did for Greatest Party Stories for Shadow Machine. That was actually partially because I was directing live action puppets that I ended up boarding for that. You know, it was one of those things, I figure I should try boarding a little bit. I've always been a television animator and being an animator for television, it's these positions exist and they're great when you have them but you know there's not a lot of them around so it was one of those things when i was just like you know maybe i should at least try my hand at storyboarding and see what it's like you know learn a bit about it maybe it's something that i decide that i really like to do and maybe you start moving in that direction so it was just kind of like the opportunity was there to try it and it was just like well let's see if i can stretch my skills and see how it goes. All right. And you <laughs> mentioned something very interesting in that, like you said, there's not a lot of television animation jobs, so you wanted to stretch those skills. Mm -hmm. What's the longest period of time that you've been without a job when you were looking for, you know, either the next storyboard job or the next television animation job? It was probably... I've been really lucky that I've hadn't had a lot of downtime in my career. It was probably when I first started animation. I was probably out of work for a good, like I had my my internship and then did the pilot and then was kind of out of work for, I don't know, maybe like nine months. I was working at Bed Bath & Beyond, I think, at the time. So it was a little scary, you know, you, you move out here, you don't really have a job, you're like, you know, you had your one first opportunity and then there's kind of nothing. So it was it was a little scary to be out of work for that long, but I just kept kind of looking for stuff and plugging away and I ended up finding like picking up this little freelance gig for like a trade show video for a tanning company. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just they wanted to they had a new product line for their tanning stuff and they just happened to want it to be animated. So I was like, I can do that. <laughs> Alright. You know, so it was just like, just, you know, the persistence of trying to look for work and being like, I can find something, like I just need another opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, and then right after that, the studio I'd work in, worked for previously, Unbound, they had a new show that came in, so then they called me. So luckily, it wasn't too long, but nine months is, is a pretty long time. Yeah. <laughs> How did you keep your, because I know... It's very easy to get depressed. It's very easy to go, I will never find another job. Or I'm always going to work in retail or name whatever place you're working you don't want to work. So you said that you were constantly looking for work as well. What, what helped you to keep that internal drive? Because I know that you really wanted to do animation. Was it just, I really want to do animation? Or was it, did you just have a strict schedule for yourself during that nine months so that you would just stay focused? You know, I think for me, my internal drive is crazy. Like, again, it's just like, this is the only thing I've ever really wanted to do. It's the only thing I ever really imagined myself doing, with the exception of maybe 
trying to get into Jim Henson, which is equally as impossible. You know, so it was just like, I just kept telling myself, I'm going to find something, like, don't give up. And just constantly just looking online. And I found like some, like the way that I landed that tanning video was basically, I found um, some like, I forget what the company was called, but it was basically just a company that works with small companies that it's just like, hey, we need 10 seconds of this thing for this web or signing up like on an email list. And I just would scour the emails like every day and be like, no, no, no. Oh, okay. That's a possibility. And just sending my stuff and hoping that I'd hear back. That's good. (laughs) It's good to hear because I've asked this of previous guests too. And I feel like we all know people that, you know, you go to school and everybody wants to get in and then meet cool people and then you never see them again. And you just wonder, whatever happened to them? They seem so enthusiastic, and then they disappear, and you find out they're not in the industry at all, which happens, and it's fine. But I've always just wondered, what is it that propels some people to know I'm going to keep going versus, oh, wait, this is really hard. You know what? I'm going to do something else. You know, my animation teacher in college, who was amazing, he once, he sat us in a room and was just like, all of y'all are very talented and y'all seem to like it, but he's like, I, he's like, this is just the reality. He's like, you know, three of you out of 30 of you are probably gonna be working in animation. And he was just like, from what he had seen in the industry, it's just, you have to really love this. Animation is fantastic and it's wonderful and I'm so grateful that I'm here, but it's also, it's, it's sometimes it's a hard business to work in, you know, it's, project by project sometimes, you know? So it's like you're out of work for three months, you know, and then you have to find something else and that job is only like six months long and then you have to, you know, you're constantly trying to look for work. So it's tough. And unless you really, really want this and love it, sometimes it's just people are just like, no matter how talented they are, they're just like, I'm not, this is not for me and try to find something else. You just have to decide for yourself. Are you willing to be out of work for a couple of months and do those project by project projects essentially yeah let's move on then to bojack horseman you were an animator as well as an animation director how did you become an animation director well it was i had just finished up working at mad at warner brothers and i was looking for work and my friend Mike Collingsworth, who is the supervising director on BoJack, had called me up and was basically like, we need some animation. You know, BoJack had just got greenlit. And he showed me the pilot, and I was like, yeah, this show looks pretty fun. You know, I had ended up going over to Shadow Machine really with the intention of kind of doing animation on BoJack for a little while. And then I was trying to get kind of an internship at a stop-motion house. Because I was thinking, like, maybe I could transition into doing animation, like, stop-motion animation. And then I think it was just one of those things, like, they realized on BoJack, like, once BoJack kind of started getting going and animation started going in, that they were just like, oh, yeah, we need, you know, animation directors. When I was there already doing animation and they were happy with the stuff that I was doing, so they were just like, we think you'd be a good fit for this. And that's just kind of rolled into that so all right and what were your responsibilities as an animation director it was basically making sure that the creators and the supervising directors you know were you know I knew what they ultimately wanted with the style and the look of everything so I'd go to meetings with them and just kind of make sure that they were happy with the way things look and get their notes and then kind of going and doing a passive notes to make sure for the overseas studio, you know, anything that I saw technically that could be improved or that needed work and kind of communicating with them also on like kind of what we wanted. We also had a small in-house team of animators doing retakes. All right, and how did you develop the skills to be able to, you know, supervise a crew. Was this from 
times where you were watching your previous animation directors or from mentors or how did you get comfortable in the role so that you could say, okay, I know what I'm doing now and how to lead everyone here? I think it, it was a mixture of just, I mean, you know, a just working really hard on my craft so like you can pick things up really quick so you can see and technically know how to communicate that to other people, you know, how to make things stronger. And yeah, I think over the years I had a couple, you know, like on that Shanna show I was talking about and a couple other projects, I had a chance to kind of run really small crews. So I kind of already had a, developed a little bit of a skill set by that. And then being able to work with, you know, really closely with some of my other directors and seeing exactly how they worked and what their intentions were. I was able to, so it was kind of like a little bit of everything. You always want to be open to learning what the people around you are doing because it makes, it makes you stronger at what you do and just learning, you know, we work in something that's such a team effort. You know, you kind of need to be aware of what everyone else is doing. All right. And <laughs> one of my previous guests, Cassie Soliday, she's a script coordinator, and she had mentioned too just being able to tell basically the emotional temperature of people and like how they're doing and how they're feeling and just kind of being able to read people. Yeah. Is that something that you found helped you out as well? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. You know, I mean, artists, they were, you have to know how to work with people, you know, and just they're, artists can get really precious about their work which is awesome and you know but also when you're working with a deadline you have to know how to manage like people's desire to make something perfect and also having you know a whole nother crew down the line down the pipeline that needs their stuff so it's like things start to snowball if you don't get get what you need right away so it's hard to you know and then people are having like people have bad days balancing People, you know, every, most artists are kind of perfectionists. They want everything to be, you know, a certain way before they pass it on to another department. But, you know, sometimes it's hard. Like I had a background guy working on a show once that was just like, he wanted, he had all these ideas and he wanted to make it perfect. And I was just like, I understand that. But we have the animation crew that it's waiting for it. And then, you know, the comp team that's waiting for it. And I was just like, you know, I need it by tomorrow. Like, I know you want it to look good, but this kind of snowballs down the line if I don't get it now. And just having people kind of be happy with the work that they're producing, but managing a timeline, it's hard to do. And then sometimes, you know, you've worked with people that are just having bad days and, you know, someone snaps at you and you have to be like it's not personal you know and sometimes you have to take those people aside and be like just as a friend be like are you doing okay you know and just make sure that your coworkers and your friends are just in a good space you just want everyone to be happy and enjoying themselves that sounds good <laughs> and i have to ask because you mentioned something what is a comp team oh compositing oh okay so like on so like for bojack we would have our we'd have an animation pass and then our compositing team which consisted of really amazing after effects animators would go in and do like lighting and different colors and do like effects and stuff so like on bojack my favorite episode that i animation directed on was the fish out of water episode which is where bojack's underwater and to see the animation which was beautiful and then to see what comp did with it once they got all the water effects in and the lighting there's like a part where Bojack is kind of underwater in this like cavern where he's this little baby seahorse is jumping up and down on these little anemones and like they're lighting up and it's gorgeous and that was our comp team that was just like they took something and just put a real nice polish on it and made it look really beautiful. <laughs> That's a good episode. I like that episode. I love how at the end he realizes that if he just pushed the button, he could have been talking the entire time. <laughs> but he, he goes on this wondrous, magical journey and he writes this note and he has this epiphany moment. Yeah. And then at the end it all just goes to pot because he realizes, what? I could have been talking. 
<laughs> I love the like hard cut mm-hmm. at the end. The hard cut is just brilliant, where he doesn't even get to finish his line. <laughs> oh my god, that show is that show, that episode in particular was. I think everybody's favorite episode that worked on that show. I think we all knew how wonderful and special that episode was. Especially, you know, it's kind of an animation dream to work on an episode that has no dialogue in it. Especially on a show like BoJack, where the writing in it is so wonderful and brilliant, and the characters just are so solid and everything they go through. The writing of BoJack really shines, so when Fish Out of Water happened, it was one of those moments where it was like, this is the time for production and the artists to really shine. You know, I mean, we've always put in our all, but I think it was their way of being like, the rest of our crew is also very talented and put their heart and soul into it. And I think everybody really did with that episode. So it's a really proud one, I think, for all of us. And an exceptional episode. A very enjoyable show. Yeah, Bojack's probably one of my favorite shows. The proudest thing I've ever gotten to work on because of that. Because, like I said, the writing is brilliant and Lisa Hanawalt's designs are so unique and fun. So it's like, it just looks different and then I don't know, it was just one of those shows that like you're working on it and you're just like, you're invested in these characters and you're working, you're help crafting the show and you're still like, oh, I don't know. There was something really special about that show that I'm very grateful I had the chance to work on it for three seasons. <laughs> I know when I watch it, you always hope that Bojack will come to that moment where he realizes, oh, this is what I need to do to get things <laughs> together and to work things out and to make good choices. and. He gets there and it never quite happens. You just go, oh, yeah, no. maybe next time. <laughs> and the next time it goes like, wait, no, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's always got like moments, like glimmers, where it's like, you know, he's slowly, it's very slowly learning. But yeah, it's just like. It just falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, that's what makes that show beautiful and realistic and so relatable. Very much. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone has had that moment of, oh, this was the smart decision, but instead I did this. Yes. <laughs> you've done that. Friends have done that. You know, the global you. All of us have done that. Or you've seen friends and you're watching your friends and just going, why are you doing this thing? Why are you not? <laughs> bad choices. <laughs> Especially living out here because it's... Yes. It's interesting, like, when that show first came out, I was in San Francisco, but I thought it was great. But then you move out to L.A. and you actually start meeting L.A. people. Yeah. And people in the entertainment industry or actors or writers or producers, and you look around and you go, oh, this is very real. Oh, my. Yeah. (laughs) So now I should say you are... A 2D animator on Bunsen is a Beast, which is one of Nickelodeon's newest shows. It premiered back in February, and it's about this little monster named Bunsen who just wants to be accepted by everyone, and he goes to this school where it's an all-human school, and he's the first little beast to be there, and meets this little kid named Mikey. So what's it like now being on Bunsen? Bunsen, I think going from Bojack to Bunsen, I think, was just such a change you know Bojack is geared more towards adults and it's not quite as cartoony you know in terms of animation style and I remember when they were showing me some of the stuff from Bunsen I was just like oh my gosh you know it's just like eyeballs are popping out of his head and he's got confetti shooting out of the top of his head and he's kind of like disconnecting and it was so much fun it was just in terms of like, you know, and, and kind of getting back to my roots of just animating, which is something that I kind of hadn't done in a while. It was refreshing for me, I think, because it was kind of like getting back to kind of like why I got into this business and working on a show that was so in my wheelhouse in terms of I've always been drawn to really cartoony stuff. And especially my favorite thing to animate is like smears where like things just go crazy. It's just like one frame of like craziness. 
and we could do that on this show. It was, you know, not all the shows that I've worked on was that really encouraged. Sometimes it's kind of like they want it to be more realistic or kind of cartoony, but not like smeary, crazy cartoony. So Bunsen was just such a joy to be working on in terms of like, it was just such a perfect fit, I think, for me in terms of that. Excellent. So. <laughs> and how did you come to work at Nickelodeon? I basically got contacted by one of my friends that worked here and said that they had an opening. They were looking for an animator for Bunsen. They had an animation position and, um, you know, that he basically recommended me for the job, which I was like, awesome, you know? Nickelodeon was actually one of the first places I ever applied to when I first started in this business and they basically were like, thanks, and like sent me back my portfolio and, you know, and I was just like, oh, you know, and then 15 years later, I get a call and they're just like, finally, like Nickelodeon's calling. (laughs) I was just like, I have, you know, I have to go at least interview and see how it goes. And, you know, I interviewed with Butch and George Goodchild, who were the art director and Butch Hartman, who's the creator. And... We all seemed to really like each other and was very excited, and they offered me the job. And I was like, yeah, I have, I have to take this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't say no. This is too cool. You know, it was like one of the first day at orientation at Nickelodeon. I was like, I'm a Nickelodeon. I can't believe it. This is a dream come true. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, I've watched so many shows growing up for Nickelodeon. Like, <laughs> very it's pretty cool. cool. <laughs> it is very cool. And I'm... Also very curious to know because, so Bunsen's crew here is small and the rest of the crew is in Canada. Yes. So I'm assuming the rest of the animators are in Canada as well, right? Yes. So what is that like when your counterparts are all in another country? Like, how does that work? It's a little weird. I think being part of an animation crew, you know, where I'm just an animator again and not really having a crew around you. Luckily, our animation studio, George Elliott, who's this wonderful animation, has a system set up that at least I can see everybody's animation, which is really helpful, you know, to kind of study like what everybody else is doing and just to see, you know, get excited about what the rest of the crew is doing. Um, it's a little strange because it's the first time I've ever been like part of a crew where I don't have any other animators around. But that being said, like I said, George Elliott does such wonderful animation that it was just, it's just kind of a joy to be a part of that. So I wish I could work around them a little bit more, but I'm at least glad I get to kind of work alongside them. All right. And you kind of mentioned this before, but I just want to ask as well, you mentioned more the cartoony style versus the little more serious certain tone style of adult animation versus animation for children or teens. What are some of the other differences between working on an animated show for children versus working on an animated show for adults or just people that are older than 12? The experience that I've had personally on the projects that I've worked on, and I know it, you know, it's not quite the same as much now, but especially when I was growing, not growing up, but when I started working, I always preferred to do preschool and stuff that skewed younger because that was kind of, you know, it was always lots of really great colors. The design was really great because I think most of the networks and working on preschool, like they're so focused on making sure the content is on point that in terms of style and everything, they're just like, as long as it's cool and it's fun and the kids are getting what they need, like learning experience, style could be whatever you wanted it to be. So it was much more artists got to stretch their skills and do, you know, we were doing really cartoony stuff and trying to do more traditional stuff. We're like working with adult animation, basically it's just kind of, eh, it's comedy, you know, it's funny if it's not, well animated there was like a whole thing for a long time that was just like bad animation is funny which i don't know where that really came from because i was just like i don't know like looney tunes was funny and that was really well animated so i I don't really know 
it's obviously changed a little bit. There's more adult cartoons that are really well animated, but in terms of TV. I've wondered, because I've had this conversation with others, is it because some people that are doing adult animation have never done animation? Because I wonder about that, because I, I find that, I think at least for children's animation, when I you research the history of the show, usually people doing stuff for children, they've, you know, they've gone to art school or mm-hmm. they, they have some kind of animation training or they worked in comic books. They've been in some type of artistic field, so they have at least a, a background in, you know, design or composition or color, whereas maybe adult animation, that's not always the case. Do you think that's true or is there no real reason just... You know, it depends on the project. I think I think it's true. There were some projects that I worked on that were more adult-oriented where they had no experience and they were just, we made this internet cartoon, just the two of us, and we want it to look just like that. And, you know, they had no animation experience and they were just, we just want it to look like that. So, but I don't really know. It's hard to say. Like, sometimes it's that... But sometimes some of the preschool stuff I worked on, they kind of left it, like those projects, more up to the people in-house at the studio to kind of dictate the style versus having a content creator come in and being like, this is exactly what I want. I found it more in preschool that we, the studio just kind of had more of a a basic like say and like kind of like how we wanted it to be. And you know, since we were mostly artists, we want it to look a certain way versus kind of more of a it's not those type of things are are not always my style but it's not it's also not you know animation can be anything Mm -hmm. so I can't think of the right word to not I don't know (laughs) I just wonder because I I think I'm in agreement with you because I have noticed that just shows for kids I mean just in my opinion and you know that's very Design can be subjective. How things look is subjective. But just from a subjective point of view, I agree with you. I think children's cartoons tend to look better. Yeah. They tend to be designed better. It tends to make more sense, even if it's a character that the proportions are off, but you can tell they're off on purpose, Mm -hmm. versus this is off because I don't think they know how to draw arms, you know, things like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, but again, it's hard, you know, because BoJack creators... Yeah, well, I guess it's not entirely true, because we had Lisa, who was a heavy influence on the show, and she's an artist. Yeah, so she, she has, like, serious illustration background. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, Raphael comes more from live action, so, but Lisa, they they came into together, so it was like, you know, because BoJack's for adults, and that show, I think, is designed really well and mm-hmm. moves very nice. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just personal some of the adult creators just don't care as much it's more about they say about the comedy which again to me is i don't know growing up in animation like visual language is funny you know and especially like you talk about you go back to like silent movie era and it's just like that's pure visual language and that stuff is funny but i don't know somewhere along the lines I don't know, someone somewhere was just like, bad animation is funny, and then that kind of filtered throughout the industry for a little while. Mm. Um, Was there ever any pushback on any of the shows you worked on? Did any of the animators, were they ever animating something, and then someone came up to them and said, that's too smooth, that's too too beautiful, that that looks too good, (laughs) dial it down, and you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, one of the shows that I worked on, actually, that they kind of came in and we had just come off a project that was more traditionally animated and the creators came in and they were just good job guys but we really want it to look like this instead and we're like they were showing us some animation examples and we were all just like oh you want us to do what that's not even acting like the character's head was just kind of like it almost looked like the character was having a seizure because it was like just they just kept moving and it was just like (laughs) And they were like, this is good acting. And we were just like, there's no acting in that. It's just moving with no intent at all. (laughs) It was just weird, you know, but that's the show that they want. So you're just kind of like, 
okay. <laughs> That's what you want. It's hard sometimes because you're you're just used to animating in a certain way and you want it, you know, especially someone like me, I grew up with full animation and that's kind of how I always really want to animate. So when you're working on a project where you're just, okay, you know, I've been told, I've been worked on shows before where they're like, we don't want anticipations, no overshoots, no settles. It's just a pop to a pose and like, it's barely even in in between. Then you're just like, okay, you're like, this is the job that I was hired to do. So you kind of have to do it. Sometimes it's just, it's not as satisfying, but it's one of those things, like I always try to find at least something in a job that I could learn from or grow from or find something where it's just like, okay, if this is extremely limited, this is a challenge into itself and to try to f- figure out how to make this fun for me, even though it's not really what I love to do. There's gotta be something in this that I can learn from and I can grow from. That is sage advice. I like that. I like finding the fun in it. It's like, all right, what is the shining moment in this? And we're going to focus on that. That's that's smart. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it's one of those things like, I feel like you always have to keep growing as an artist. You know, it's, it's sad when you're just like bored and you don't feel like you're getting challenged anymore. That's kind of the death of working where you're just like, oh, trying to find any little thing. You know, I was working on a show, a game show, where it was like our schedule was so tight and like we could barely had time to animate anything. And I was just like, okay, I got a week to animate three minutes of animation by myself. Oh gosh. How do I do this and not have it, have it still look animated and it was a challenge because it's just like it's almost an impossible task but it's just like okay I found like little moments that I could be like make it look cartoony where it's just like if you're having a character's head turn like over exaggerate the head turn and only really animate the neck and have it be really cartoony where the rest of it's all still and it's just like I could do that pretty fast I can make it look like it's still cartoony and fun and still be able to hit my deadline and still try to find something that makes this job fun for me. So it's just like, yeah. Make it work. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta make it work. So speaking of fun, are you working on any personal projects? Do you have any projects that you're currently doing just for you? I have a lot of projects. (laughs) I have a, a tendency to kind of be like, oh, I have a really great idea, and then start something, and then be like, oh, I have another really great idea, and then start something. So I have a lot of projects that I've started (laughs) that I need to kind of organize and finish. I have some, a couple shorts that I'm trying to like make into ideas for shorts that I'm trying to make, and then I've gotten really into um, puppetry. So I've been learning how to build puppets <laughs> and stuff and just kind of like getting more into like, I've been painting a lot and then trying to work on that because it's just being in front of the computer all day, you know, and kind of going home and getting in front of the computer isn't always really appealing for me. So I'm trying to get back into doing artwork outside of animation that I love to do. Do you have a particular medium with painting that you like working with or particular subjects? I tend to, and this kind of goes hand in hand with the puppet stuff. I really, I got like a collection of these kind of like monster kind of paintings and stuff that I've been working on a lot. Mediums, I've kind of like, I'm all over the board with mediums. In college, I pretty much took every art class I could. Like, I was just like, weaving? That sounds great. Ceramics? That sounds great. Painting? I don't know what this class is, but it's working with glass. I'll do that. (laughs) Anything that I could take and just try to experience, I did. So that's part of, it's a blessing and a curse, I think, because it's like, I have too many ideas and I want to, I'm just like, oh, right. I've been obsessing for a couple of years now. And one day I'll do it about like taking a welding class. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I found a place in Atwater, I think. And I'm just like, oh. 
So it's just, I have to like kind of hone down a little bit <laughs> my ideas. But yeah, mostly doing monsters, kind of like these weird kind of creatures I've gotten into doing lately, which is cool because it kind of translates into puppetry, which I've been able to kind of do some puppetry shorts, which is fantastic. Nice. Yeah, and then just kind of like, I like scratchboard a lot. <laughs> and then just, I got into using um these water-based oil paints, which are weird. I know it sounds strange, but so I've been doing kind of a lot with that lately. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting into puppetry because you love the Muppets. Anyone who's seen your cue yes. knows you love the Muppets. Yes. I love the Muppets. <laughs> How did you come to love the Muppets? I watched it when I was a kid. I don't remember exactly like what. I mean, it was probably something like Sesame Street, honestly, when I was a kid. But I just, I remember like. One of my first memories of like the Muppets were like watching Muppet Caper with the beginning when they're in the hot air balloons mm -hmm. and they're talking over the credits and just being like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I remember like being obsessed with Rolf uh, when I was a kid. I had a brief when the only time I didn't want to be an animator when I was a kid was a brief period where I wanted to be a dog. <laughs> So I was, like, obsessed with Rolf. I don't know if that contributed, but, like, he was always my favorite Muppet. And I just, I don't know, there's just so something so charming about those characters. So, you know, I just watched The Muppet Show and Sesame Street and anything that, like, had puppets in it was just, like... I don't know, it was, like, the watching the best thing ever because it was just... Animation and puppetry are so similar, but then having something about the Muppets where it's you can tell that they're there and they're real and you can touch them was just so magical to me that Yeah, I love the Muppets too. I remember when I was small, I distinctly remember believing that I didn't it didn't occur to me that they weren't real. Yeah. I remember thinking Kermit was a real frog. Never mind <laughs> the fact that he's made out of some type of felt material. Yeah. I just remember thinking, Kermit's real. And it wasn't until I think I was five I realized, I don't think he's a real frog. <laughs> I think he's controlled by Jim Henson. <laughs> but there's just, but there's that, I feel like for most kids, there's that period of time where it's like, of course they're all real. They're all real because they're interacting with adults yeah they're talking to adults <laughs> and adults are talking to them so obviously <laughs> there really are muppets and they're interacting with people well i think there's also like when you're a kid too like there's a my little cousins had this when i was working on this show safety patrol i think they were at the age where it's like they knew i was an animator and they knew that's what i did but they would ask me what it's like to work with the safety dog there's like a little dog that wore like a safety vest so it was like this weird they knew that what I did for a living, but they also still thought it was real. Right. And there's like a story I believe with Jim Henson about like, you know, on Sesame Street, they'd have the kids and they have the puppeteer there, you know, and the kid can see the puppeteer and they know that the puppet's getting controlled, like Kermit's getting controlled by Jim Henson, but they're still looking at Kermit like he's real. <laughs> yeah. So like, even though there's someone down there that they can clearly see is controlling this frog, they don't care like mm -hmm. he's there and he's in front of you and he's yeah. real so it's just you know even as an adult i feel like i i went to see the muppets at the hollywood bowl they did the muppet movie uh, not the bowl at the hollywood cemetery screening and gonzo was there and you know and i know that there's a puppeteer there like underneath the table like you know but i'm just like gonzo gonzo's here mm -hmm. like <laughs> yeah but yeah it's amazing at my friend's college graduation at UT, they had Cookie Monster. <laughs> Cookie Monster came out first, and then the commencement speaker, and Cookie Monster killed, and the commencement speaker came out, and he just flat out said, I can't compete with Cookie Monster, Yeah. so I'm not going to try. It's good so here's what I have to say to all of you graduates, <laughs> and, he, and he, he wasn't able to compete, but... But he realized, you know what, I'm not going to try because Cookie Monster is just so delightful. And he was eating cookies. And then he started eating the podium, and we're just like, ah! 
Yeah, it's hard to compete with Cookie Monster. Yeah, and these are all grown men and women, you know, we're all college graduates, and we're just like, Cookie Monster's on stage! But that's the brilliant thing about the Muppets. No matter how old you are, the characters are so great. And that was the brilliance of the Muppets and Sesame Street at that time, and Jim Henson and all those puppeteers that brought these characters to life, was they are so delightful and endearing that no matter how old you are you know you can't help love cookie monster like mm-hmm. you can't help but feeling like a kid when cookie monster's there yeah. and like you're you know i was watching an episode of top chef i think recently and they had elmo and cookie monster and telly monster on and you could tell the contestants at first were like this is weird and then they all got, like, really into it at the end, where they were just like, Elmo is tasting my cookies! And, like, you know, they were just, like, all giant children by the end of it. Because uh-huh. it's just these great little furry monsters are, uh, like... That was brilliance of puppetry. I have a, a story for you. When when the Muppet movie came out, the, the recent one, not the one with Tina Fey, but the one right before where they reintroduced all the Muppets again, I went with my five-year-old twin cousins. We took them to the theater. Aww. And we're sitting in the middle of the theater, and at the end of the movie, you know, they have to put on a show to save the theater and everything, <laughs> and they start singing the Rainbow Connection and they start swaying, and I kid you not, this was the audience, the, most of the people in the audience were adults, and the three rows in front of me, you could just see all these people just start <laughs> swaying to the Rainbow Connection, and I could hear people singing, yep. and people crying, and I just thought, this is so beautiful, this is just grown men and women who... Some of them brought their kids, but most of them were by themselves, and they're just swaying along. Yeah. It just, you just get <laughs> caught up in it. When I was going to school in Orlando, I worked at MGM Studios, and when I was working there, they had their live... I worked in, like, the animation courtyard, so it was kind of like at the end of the animation tour when the studio was still there, but... There was like that, and then they had a live show, and the live show at the time was Bear in the Big Blue House. Oh, fun. Which I was like, you know, I was in college, and I was like coming home, and I was just like, oh, it's like time, like, you know, come home and have lunch and watch Bear in the Big Blue House. (laughs) So I'd work that show, and you had the option of like either going back into the break room or you could sit in the show and like watch it, so I would obsessively watch it because I was obsessive about puppets. And you'd see all these kids like, dancing and freaking out and all their parents would be into it you know because it was just like this live show and bear who's like i don't know like an eight foot tall puppet comes out and he's like dancing on stage and you got like pip and pop the little purple otters that are like singing along and everybody in there is just having a great time because it's just like these giant fuzzy creatures that just dancing and singing everybody's just happy like yeah. you can't not be happy watching all of these characters oh man i'm smiling now i just like just picture it I'm just like ah oh, this just sounds so great <laughs> yeah that's how i got into i got at shadow machine i got a chance to direct about 10 live action puppet puppet shorts Ooh. which was pretty fun what was the show one was for a show called trip tank and the other was for the greatest party stories ever where it was just one of those things like I was directing some stuff on Trip Tank and it was kind of like up to the directors and stuff to do the style and one of the things that they gave me I was just like you know they were kind of like Trip Tank was adult show and they were just kind of like yeah it's a little racy and we wanted to you know be pleasant and I was just like well what if I did it in puppets and I pitched it to them and they were just like Oh, no. <laughs> and then I like went and talked to my boss again. He's just like, all right, let's try it. And going back to what we were talking about earlier about just have to put it out there because the worst he would say was no. And, you know, I never would have done it. But if I didn't go to him and be like again and be like, I really want to do puppets, you know, I never would have got the experience to actually direct some puppet shorts. And because of that, when we got the greatest party stories ever, they were like, oh, well, you did puppet shorts for Trip Tank, so do you want to do some... We want to do some, like, sock puppets and marionettes for this show. And it was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so it was 
pretty great experience being able to work with puppeteers and just you know they're like animators they just get so excited when they got the sock puppets on their hands they just immediately all went like insane they were just like ah. <laughs> <laughs> there's something about a puppet you're just like hello hello <laughs> and he, yeah and even like is even when you're like cut in between scenes they're still up there and they're still like you know ad-libbing and just having a grand old time <laughs> i've heard that about Jim Henson Company too. When they cut scenes, they'll still talk in character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they don't ever break character. I just find that amazing. Yeah, when I was in college, one of the puppeteers from Bear in the Big Blue House actually came and talked to our film class and showed us just some of that footage in between the show, and some of it was pretty funny. <laughs> It was funny because the puppeteer who did Bear was just talking about something random. Nothing, you know, just, I don't remember what he needed for the day. And he's still doing the mouth movement. He's still, he's like, still can, we, just, can we get some more lights over here? Yeah. Some more angles from camera A? And yeah. how you doing today? I'm doing all right. You need to write him down. I'm good, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was just so funny to see. Talk about their mortgage. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> So, Crystal, where can people find you online? I, right now, am working on getting my stuff online. I have not got much of an online presence. I have my demo reels up, but basically that's it right now. Okay, so people want to watch your animation, they can see some of your great work. They can just Google, like, on Vimeo, Crystal Stromer, you can see some of my animation. Like I said, I'm kind of... I know a little bit older, so I think when I started coming up, the social media and websites and thing weren't so much of a thing. So I've been a little behind on kind of getting a good online presence, but I'm working on it. Well, we'll we will add what you have to the show notes. So Crystal, it has been <laughs> wonderful talking with you today. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Aww. It's This has been a lot of fun. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. (laughs) And that concludes today's interview. Special thanks again to Crystal for being an awesome guest. And make sure to check out the show notes where you can watch all of Crystal's animation reels on Vimeo, as well as following her on Instagram. And if you've enjoyed today's interview, make sure to leave a review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more people to find out about the show. And thank you to everyone who has left a review. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal button and leaving a donation. And make sure to visit our sponsors, Amazon, Audible, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Every time you click on the banner ads on the website and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. So thank you to everyone for supporting our sponsors. They appreciate it, and I appreciate it as well. And if you want to find out what's been going on in the wonderful world of animation, make sure to check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, it's theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And to see what I've been up to lately, make sure to visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the address is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So tune in next week as the Nickelodeon summer miniseries continues. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.